Thank you for tuning in for part two of our series about being a blessing to missionaries during this unprecedented worldwide COVID-19 quarantine. We are truly living in crazy times. That said, God is at work in missionaries, their churches, and in those who love and support missionaries. So that's part of, you know, I'm in a process of interacting with a lot of people, reading a lot of stuff, coming up with some ideas on my own to sort of help churches that have missionaries that are back from the field. And one of the things that's really interesting, Brian, and I think, you know, you'll you'll totally get this, um, and I think most people that are listening would, would get it too, is, you know, this kind of crisis, again, it's got the potential to really unlock some really great stuff or unleash some really bad stuff. And on the good, unlocking the good stuff side, I mean, missionaries may be of more interest than ever before to their home churches because of this. In other words, the outcome a year from now is, man, the levels of connection we have with our home churches are so much better since the COVID virus pandemic. Because all of a sudden we were on the radar screen of our home church at a level we were never were before. We weren't just a blip in the corner. We came to the forefront of their radar screen and they they cared about us. They loved on us. And that really, you know, that tickles tickles my heart. So and and that's something that you've been seeing? I yeah, I it is. I mean, I I a couple of churches where I I think that, you know, their level of engagement with their and their their connection level with their missionaries was, you know, I would say minimal. I've seen a few now that all of a sudden the, that that connection level is being generated uh, and increased by the church rather than the missionary. And I just think again that's God in his sovereignty, as he always does, steering evil and steering disaster to ultimately serve, you know, good purposes. Do you feel like that uh, is is happening because because churches, you know, church leadership, as they're not meeting or you know meeting, you know, once a week or twice a week in big groups, are thinking of more ways to make sure that they are intentional about ministry? I think it might be. I think it could be that. I think it could be they have more time on their hands, um, you know, from from the, the if the day-to-day machinery of running a church is shut down and the amount of time and energy to run the machinery uh, is is less than it was, then you've got you've got some time to think about other things. And if you're truly in a pastoral leadership level, your heart's going to gravitate towards, well, how are, are the members of our church? And particularly the members of our church we sent to the field. So I, I just think, yeah, it's, and I think some of it may be generated by, uh, and I, I hate to say this, uh, but it's true within our culture, a lot of what's done in the missions world is done for liability's sake. In other words, I, th- I think some of the reconnection is just going to simply be the byproduct of churches thinking, if we don't do something to help our ministry and something or our missionaries and something goes sideways, we're susceptible to a lawsuit. You know, lawsuit, bad publicity. I mean, whatever, all those things are hurtful to churches. They cause church splits. And, and this is the time to shore up the ministry, whether it's, you know, circling the wagons a little bit. I mean, it's healthy to think through those things. It is. And the, and the benefit, again... I mean, it's, of course, there's a re- reciprocal benefit, but the those even if the decisions are made with that as the motive, covering their, you know, covering their behinds to avoid a lawsuit. If they, 
actually take the initiative to connect at a deeper level with the missionary and really express their love and care for them. Hey, the end game is the same. The missionary gets blessed. Uh, the connection is tighter. And in that process, I think the home church leaders and stuff are going to have more regard um, and, uh, you know, just more uh, concern for the missionaries when they see the kind of character that their missionaries are displaying in the midst of a very radically different context. I'm just thinking through the, just what I saw again, and that, that made me want to reshare some of Melanie's social media posts, just the stuff that they were doing in their community. Uh, I mean, that took intentionality. That took leadership. That took making a list. Yeah. I, you know, yes, I, 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 you know, I totally believe the Lord's moving in their situation and um, making something, you know, they're taking something uh, that's bad and, and doing some good things. That's, that's, I mean, those are the stories that's going to come out of this. And, and, and the fact that, I mean, there's this, there, the missionaries are dis on one hand, they're disconnected um, because they just can't get on a plane. They can't easily, get back home. But on the other hand, they're more connected probably through technology to their family, to their churches. Um, I know even, even for me is since I've moved up here to New Hampshire from South Florida, I mean, now everybody that I used to go to these little meetings with are now meeting, you know, on zoom or online. And so I'm reconnecting with people I haven't been connected to for five years, which is cool. And, and, you know, I, my prayer is that on the other side of this, that continues and we continue to say, why weren't we doing this before? That's what I hope happens with missionary care is like, why weren't we already doing this? Why did it take a crisis for us to, to really strengthen ties with missionaries when it's just, you know, a couple of clicks away to connect with them? It's the old proverb, necessity is the mother of invention. And we tend to over, you know, and again, you know, you've been there, I've been there. One of the, you know, there was a really cool blog post uh, about a week ago by a guy that's been in South Africa or South America for many years. And one of the points that he makes is that, you know, well, two, two key points that he makes is that a lot of what's driving um, the toilet paper, you know, and all that hoarding and all that stuff is, I mean, that's not a, the fear of death. That's a fear of the loss of luxury. A, a fear. Of, those aren't necessities. Toilet paper is not a necessity. You know, like, look, more than, yeah, like there's 2 billion people, there's 2 billion people on this planet, at least, that don't use toilet paper. They, they, they never, they've never used toilet paper in their life. Bite your tongue. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but so, so, what? so it's a, it's a fear of losing, you know, luxuries. That's that's driving a lot of it. And and the point that this guy makes is when you've lived overseas and, you know, when missionaries are at, hey, the power goes out. It's another day. The power, We don't have any power. Well, then because we don't have any power, we don't have any running water. Well, guess what? That's life. And you learn to, you learn to like, hey, like even today, I, I go in a room and I flip on a light switch and I get light. I just go, thank you, Lord. Like you, because you've you learn to navigate in simplicity. And you, you've learned to determine what's really essential for life. And most of what we live day to day here in America is not essential for life. They're perks. They're not necessities. And so I think God brings us into seasons to help us figure out 
what's a perk and what's a necessity. And I think that applies. Um, and so I think even in a church, in local churches and their relationships to their missionaries, um, they've been navigating in the perk realm. So it's like, eh, you know, if we can't bless our missionaries, fine. But now because of what's happening, uh, necessity is coming to the surface. And now they're going to, there's an opportunity in that for, for them to, in a sense, be loving and caring and connecting and expressing care at a level they should have in the past, but there, it was hard to find the motivation for that when you didn't have to. But we've got our whole necessity, luxury matrix all mixed up. Like we think of toilet paper as a necessity, but you know, a real necessity is relationships and we're built for, we're built for relationships by God, but we see those. I mean, I mean, seriously, how, how often do we think of relationships as a perk? I mean, how easy is it for us to write off a relationship, but (laughs) to be absurd, we would never write off toilet paper usage, you know, but we, we do, we have it, we have it up 180 degrees out of phase. We, we are in a season that God has sovereignly permitted the globe to enter. This isn't catching him by surprise. Uh, the responses of people are not surprising him. And what it's doing is it's providing an op- a, a literal, literal le- opportunity to live out what, well, A, to live out New Testament principles that we really haven't had to live out in the past. And, and, and then to, um, to fine tune the things in our own hearts and minds of what really matters. Uh, one one of the New Testament principles is, you know, the woman, the wit, the widow's might, um, and it it is relevant for missionary giving because I I was going to get to that anyway. So this is a good segue into that. But one is the point that Jesus makes with the widow's might is that she's the only one that dropped stuff in the box that was giving from her poverty. And, and I think that most of what we do as Christians and most of the, in the financial realm, the giving that we do is not out of our poverty. It's out of our, in a sense, it's out of our surplus. And, and we just rearrange what we spend the surplus on to be able to give, um, you know, charitably or to missionaries or whatever. And that's not a bad thing. And praise the Lord, there's at least a shifting of priorities within that, but it's all coming out of the surplus pond, not the poverty pond. And so I, th- I think that's one of the things. Well, one that I think of, I think of his relationship in inclusive, inclusive, um, people, including <laughs> yeah, <laughs> inclusion. <laughs> yes. And, and we talked about it a little earlier about, uh, about um, the, the honor shame example of, you know, expats living in a, in being the foreigner in a foreign country and how they're hosted, but that sense of intentional relationship and in, in, intentional inclusion, that's a very New Testament principle, especially when you're um, crossing ethnic and religious boundaries. Another principle that I think is that, that it it brings to the surface, and I'm sort of, this is one of my, you know, um, one of my hobby horses that I beat on every now and then is is the idea that, and, and it kind of loops in with what I was just saying, given out of uh, poverty rather than surplus, is that it costs, um, 
it, 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 you know, Jesus said, unless you're willing to die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, you can't be your, my disciple. And, and in our culture, in the history of our country, following Jesus has been uh, a way of getting paid. Following Christianity in America pays because there's a, there's a Christendom here and you can average, you know, you can advertise in the Christian yellow pages and on Christian radio and, and all this stuff. And so following Christ pays, it doesn't really cost. And I think there's these kind of things are going to, these kind of events bring to the surface, these principles where, Hey, it really is going to cost me to continue to follow Jesus. And it's going to cost me to try to follow his example of self-denial. Uh, the level of self-denial that's been required of me up to now is, is very minimal. But if I really want to follow him and be like him, it's going to start costing me more to follow him and, and, and be like him. And, and I think even in the realm of, and it's, you know, in, in Philippians where Paul says uh, to the, no, where, where am I? It's in Colossians, I think, uh, where Paul's basically talking about, you know, um, adding to the suffering of Jesus in the eyes of others. You know, the idea that when we're willing to suffer, to serve and meet the need of other people, there's a demonstration of Christ's suffering. Oh, completing the suffering of Christ is the, the actual way it's written. Um, that you, you know, we're, we're here to complete the suffering of Christ. Well, does that mean his suffering was incomplete? No, it's just that the people haven't had a visible display of the level of suffering like Jesus did. And these kind of, these kind of moments provide the opportunity because why would we suffer like this at such level of self-denial if we weren't following the one who suffered even more than us, but it gives teeth to it. It gives tangibility to it. You can't fully realize the blessedness of following the Lord unless you walk through suffering, unless you're giving, given the opportunity to give yourself away. Giving yourself away doesn't just, it benefits you as much as it benefits the community that you give yourself to. And you just can't experience that until um, times like this. Yeah, and and the challenge with that is for us as Americans, again, is we can we can say, well, I'm going to do this because it's going to change me in a good way. So our motivation is selfish. Oh, the thing gets done, but it's done at the, the starting point is selfishness. Rather than they have a need, I'm going to meet the need, and the byproduct maybe I'm a better person because of it. But that's not my goal. My goal is to meet the need. So that idea that. You know, fulfillment is always the byproduct of self-sacrifice. Fulfillment can never be the goal. I mean, it has to be done in total humility. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, and I, and I, you know, one of the other things which I, again, I wanted to, I, I referenced it earlier, is we've had some concern by some people about, you know, missionary support, financial support, How it's, and not just, be, you know, the virus specifically and the pandemic, but the economic consequences of the virus and the pandemic and the shutdown of basically the world's economy. And so as I've thought about it and prayed about it, you know, I I'm, and I'm in the midst of sort of writing up maybe a blog post on this subject that my, my sense is that, you know, most people that support missionaries, even if it's from their surplus pond, which I think probably most people are within their surplus pond, they, they made decisions before they first started supporting a missionary. They said, I'm going to, 
I'm going to not do this. I'm not going to do this. So I can have a little bit of money freed up to support that missionary. So there's a seed of, of prioritization there that I think will be built on, um, that will be watered through this so that now somebody who's been supporting a missionary and they know the missionary's still on the field, or maybe the missionaries come back, you know, when they're, when they're having to scale back their budget because of the economy, um, the, the missionary support that they give is probably going to be pretty high up the list of priorities. They're, they're probably, they've already demonstrated a willingness to make it a priority. I think that my, my feeling is that those that have been committed monthly, uh, you know, the, the, one of the last things that they're going to cut off because of this is their missionary monthly support. You know, they, they'll probably say, Hey, I can, I, maybe I never really had to do this before, but I can skip four trips to Starbucks this month. Um, so I can keep the 50 bucks going to the missionary because they're in a much more difficult situation out there than I am here. And so I just, I have a, I, I have a, a confidence, maybe it's a, a foolish confidence, but I have a confidence that somebody mature enough to get behind a, a, a missionary on a monthly basis financially is not going to bail on that commitment unless they absolutely have very few other options. And, and I think, Jeff, that this is the kind of situation that's going to bring maturity and, and bring people into maturity that um, have not it's it's definitely going to be a new part of their journey. I don't want to sound too condescending here, but it, this is this is going to be just the right thing for a lot of people to make them um, more the person God wants them to be. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and and when you say just the right thing, I mean the the key is it's always been the right thing, but there wasn't any need to to take that step to become more like Jesus. Well, this is forcing that to happen. And uh and again, it's it's that idea that this is going to squeeze the lemon and and what's inside the lemon is going to come out. And maybe like never before and it's going to be wow. You know, I can't believe I I didn't navigate in this realm before. But Lord, thank you for the pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's like we used to do a, when I would train people to do ministry for refugees. And when we did our refugee ministry in Phoenix, you know, a lot of times you try to do these little simulations and stuff. And so you, you know, one of the things you would do is say, listen, I want you to, you know, envision this, you go home right now and um, I'm going to call you in 10 minutes after you get home. And I'm going to say, you have 20 minutes to evacuate your house and you're never going back to it. You're going to you're going to leave your house in 20 minutes. Everything that you're going to have for the rest of that moment forward in your life, you can take with you and you've got to leave in 20 minutes and you're never going to go back to your house. How what are you going to take? What's going to run through your mind? What's your priorities? Now we have a little taste of that here with our fires. When we <laughs> when we have these big fires in Southern California, everybody has made that decision. If my if it's coming towards my house, what do I take? But you're hoping that the fire, you know, you're 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 probably thinking I'm going to be able to get back into my house. 
But if you leave knowing I'm never going back and I can only take what I can carry in my hands, you'll, you'll, you'll figure out what your priorities are. What's in your go bag. What's in your go bag. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, I think that overall, yeah, in the midst of this is incredible, incredible opportunity. It's not minimizing the suffering or the, you know, the breaking of the rhythm of people's lives at all. But in the midst of it are the opportunities for the church to be the salt and the light that the scriptures always said we should be. You know, when you you talk like this, Jeff, it really, honestly, it brings a sense of peace to my heart. Um, I know this is the truth. I know this is how God has always operated when, you know, I think back through the Old Testament, I think of some of the hardships that, you know, the people of God experience over and over again. In my in my personal quiet time, I'm reading through Judges and in, you know, every little story is embedded and God left this situation in place, you know, to do something big. That's that's the basic message is is that God left, you know, so and so in place or these people in place. Uh, to to basically bring the best out of Israel, out of Israel. <laughs> and and w- when I think about that, it, it really brings hope and comfort because this is just a season. I mean, things are for just a season all throughout the scripture, all throughout our lives. And um, I, I just know that it's going to, you know, that there's a lot of people that, as they're squeezed, there's lemonade in there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree, and yeah. and I really look forward to you know um, the stories that we hear on the other side of this. And when we 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 say, hey, remember the COVID nineteen of twenty twenty, and you know, there's going to be some good stories that come out of that. And I just pray that is, you know, um, I mean, I'm going to go throughout the rest of my day just thinking about this conversation, and then over the weekend, as I'm editing this podcast, I'll be I'll be thinking about this conversation, and it, and it brings peace to my heart. And I pray that it does the same thing for those that listen, and that um, man, folks will you know make a list like what you find on the Shades Mountain blog post that I'm going to link to this. That what can I do even in my neighborhood? Um, and and for and for the missionaries, our church supports, and you know maybe there's some Skype calls in your future, or some Zoom calls in your future, or some meetings that you that you have that um, missionaries come up and reaching out to them is some action that's taken. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And let me just kind of I want to I'm gonna I'm actually on the verge of kind of doing this as a devotional for the church that I'm pastoring right now. Um, But I just want to, I want to kind of encapsulate it here, you know, to summarize what we're talking about. And it's from 1 Peter 3. And um, I'm sure that I've referenced it before on our podcast because it's it's a a place I I dwell a lot. But for years, you know, I thought that 1 Peter 3, 15 text was for, you know, talking to Mormons at your door, Jehovah's Witnesses, the whole idea of apologetics, Uh you know, giving a defense of the faith. But of course, the context is that... um, Peter's writing to Christians that have suffered uh, persecution, and some of them have have suffered for doing 
right and doing good things. And of course, he's telling them, listen, there's honor if you're suffering and being persecuted because you're acting like Jesus and doing right. There's no honor if you're breaking the law and you're suffering. Right. But but that verse that that so many use for apologetics, the actual context of the verse is, you know, he's, he basically says, look, if you suffer in verse 14, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you're going to be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, here's the key. But in your heart to regard Christ the Lord as holy and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And and here's my my point. This is my this is like to me, this is I'm framing this whole thing. The world, this kind of event plunges people into hopelessness. Mm. We, the citizens of the kingdom, are living hopefully in the midst. Now, our hope is not that we get our economy back. That's not our primary hope. We navigate with a different hope. Our hope is in uh, our, our actual God is our hope. And our relationship with him is 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 basically what hope is and that relationship that's going to last. It, it's present now and it's going to last into eternity. So we navigate a hopeless world as hopeful people. Mm. And the key to me is that Peter is saying, listen, when you're navigating with hope in the midst of hopelessness, people are going to come to you and they're going to initiate the question, what's the reason for the hope that you have? And be ready to give them an answer. Mm. So to me, when we're living this out, when we're living out hope-filled lives, and we know what our hope is, it's different than an average American's hope. We have a unique hope because we are followers of the true and the living God. When we're living out that reality of what our of what the true hope really is, when among everybody else that's hopeless, at some point when they see us living it out and responding differently, they're going to come to us. They're going to say, "What's the reason for the hope that you have? Mm-hmm. How can you be hopeful?" When everything screams, be hopeless. Yep. And he says, when they come and do that, you know, um, do it with gentleness. Answer them with gentleness and respect and have a good conscience. So I, to me, that's, that verse and that context reference in the verse is, is the incredible opportunity in this. Hope-filled people living hopefully in the midst of hopelessness to such a degree and in such a way that those in hopelessness come and ask us. They initiate, how can you live hopefully? What's the reason for the hope you have that I don't have? Does that make sense? Totally. That's such a good, that's such a good word, such a good way to wrap up uh, this conversation, this podcast, and Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that wisdom. Oh, thanks, brother. Thanks for spending time with us today. Check the links in this podcast landing page for resources and part one of this series.